Luke chapter 9, verses 21 through 27, and then verse 57 through 62. The Word of God from Luke chapter 9. And He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed, ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Please be seated. And let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that by Your Word, Your Spirit would work in our hearts to sanctify us. That the old man would be put away. That the new man in Christ Jesus would be raised. That we would be citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens of Your kingdom. May that be true here among us. For your glory, for our good, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, in 1945, at the end of World War II, uh, the Allies were working to ensure that uh, Nazism never rose to power again in Germany. And so one of the many things that the Allies did was they figured out a way to institute a government in Germany that would ensure that to be true. And so they made this government over Germany that lasted another 40 years. But the Allies couldn't agree on how to govern Germany. And so they divided Germany in pieces. You probably remember this. Most of the Allies ruled over Western Germany. And there they ensured that capitalism and a free market, and freedom in general, was commissioned to oversee West Germany. The Russians oversaw East Germany, and there socialism was instituted. And so there, there was much restriction, big government oversight. There was no freedom. And it created a dichotomy in Germany that lasted, as I said, 40 years. There was a stark contrast, but the contrast was even more stark in the city of Berlin. 
because the Allies decided also to divide Berlin in half. So Western Berlin had a free market. It had freedom, a measure of independence. In East Berlin, though, it was dark, and there was no freedom. Socialism reigned. There was no freedom of the people to come and go. And what it created in Berlin was this bizarre dichotomy. One side of the city, free and open, uh, there was a, a, a great uh, prosperity in West Berlin. On the other side of the city, it was dark and impoverished. There were two worlds, if you would, in, wood, in one city, two kingdoms. And each side of the city had their own economy, their own politics, had their own TV and radio shows, uh, had their own currencies, had their own ways of going about life. And if you left one side of the city and you set foot in the other side of the city, you found an entirely different world just across the city, East Berlin and West Berlin. This is something of what Jesus is beginning to describe about the kingdom of God when we get to Luke chapter 9. That there are two kingdoms of God and of man seemingly coexisting, but in each, everything about them is drastically different. There are different currencies in the kingdom of God, different economies, different transactions, different citizens. Everything about them is different. You see, Jesus has been speaking about the kingdom of God for at least five chapters. You remember some of his references. Back in chapter 5, he says, I have come to proclaim the kingdom of God. Then he followed it up with, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Then he says in chapter 8 to his disciples, blessed are you, for the secrets of the kingdom of God have been entrusted to you. He follows it up with, uh, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest among men. But Jesus will speak about the kingdom of God at least another 40 times in the Gospel of Luke. Here in chapter 9, He begins to show us some of the very intricate details of the kingdom of God. How the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of man. As I said to you this morning, it's a bit of an East Berlin, West Berlin situation as Christ describes the kingdom of God. Now you notice that these two passages in chapter 9, they're united by the common theme of follow me. Jesus says in verse 23, follow me. He says here in verse 57, follow me. And the people, they say, Jesus, we will follow you. We will follow you. It's the tie that binds the two passages. These are passages about following Christ in the kingdom of God. This morning, we are going to look primarily at the passage in verse 57 and following. Okay? Now you see the passage. Jesus is on the road. And these three men He interacts with, they have questions for Him. Now, Matthew in his Gospel, he says these events take place by the Sea of Galilee, much further north. But Luke records them as happening as Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. In verse 51 of chapter 9, it says that Jesus has set His face to Jerusalem, that He had begun the journey to Jerusalem where He would be crucified. And so, in chapter 9, He begins to speak more and more of His crucifixion, of the death 
that he would experience at the hands of those who would betray him. And here he introduces the conversation in verse 21, speaking about his own death. The first point I've recorded for you in the insert of your bulletin is this, the follower of Christ will be out of place in this world. The follower of Christ will be out of place in this world. And that's you, okay? We will be out of place in this world. Look at verse 57. In verse 57, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, we don't know much about this first fellow, okay? We, we, we don't know much about him. Matthew says in his gospel that this man was a scribe, he was an expert in the law, but beyond that, we don't know anything about him, how he got here. How long he's been following Jesus. Was he there from the beginning? Was he there when Jesus calmed the storm or cast out the demons? We don't know. But we know one thing about him here. He seems to be very gung-ho. Right? We, we, we don't know what led to this, but it seems as if he came up to Jesus on the road. And he said, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going. You go down that road, I'm following you down the road. You go that way, I'm following you that way. I will be at your side wherever you go. I don't know what he expected Jesus to say, but I would imagine he didn't expect this, okay? Maybe he thought Jesus was going to say, listen, you, great, you follow me, you're number 13, okay? 13 disciples now following me, okay? Not what Jesus says, though. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 58, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of, the man, uh, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, Jesus, in response to this man who says he will follow Jesus wherever he goes. He says, foxes, they have their dens. Birds have their nests. But me, the Son of Man, I have nowhere to lay my head. Now, the message is very simple as Jesus speaks to this man. He is telling him about the Son of Man, but if you follow me, the same will be true of you. And as we speak about the two kingdoms, it's very clear what Jesus is saying. Foxes are of this world. And foxes of this world, they have a place to live in this world, okay? Birds of the air of this world, they have nests of this world. But the Son of Man who is not of this world, the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. The Son of Man does not belong here. And the, the message to the follower of Christ then is, listen, if you follow me, you must recognize that you're not of this world. And not being of this world, you will not fit in here. There'll be no place for you. You'll be a, a square peg in a round hole. And nothing here will fit you quite right. This place is not where you're from, therefore you, you won't fit in. Now, one commentator who spoke about this passage described it with the word discomfort. Okay? That there will be a discomfort for the followers of Christ because they are not of this kingdom Therefore, they will not be comforted in this kingdom. That author went on to say, as a follower of Christ, if you don't experience some measure of discomfort in this world, you ought to reevaluate your Christianity because your following of Christ ought to make you discomforted in this world. It ought to make you discomforted in this world. And I think that's true in a variety of ways, okay? I think it's true in the simplest of ways. You think about this. 
If we are of the kingdom of God, if we are a follower of Christ, then by living as followers of Christ, we're exhorted, for instance, to truth-telling, okay? to being representatives of the truth. And I tell you the truth, you've probably experienced this. There are many instances in life where by telling the truth, you get yourself in a very discomforting situation. It's just the way it is. Okay? Sometimes it's easier for people not to hear the truth. But as followers of Christ, we're called to be representatives of the truth. Therefore, we're discomforted in this world. We don't have a place in this world. This is true for, for everything that Christ has called us to as members of His kingdom. Now, I'm often encouraged when I encounter Christians who are experiencing trials because often your questions are like, why am I experiencing a trial? How could this be? Why am I not finding comfort in this world? Why am I feeling displaced? How is it that as I live as a follower of Christ, I'm being rejected in my workplace? How is it that I'm not being satisfied by the things of this world? How is it that I feel so out of place? And every time I hear something like that, I think, well, this is great. I know it doesn't feel great. It's great because it's evidence of the work of Christ in us, okay? As Christ exhorts this follower here, he exhorts us. Foxes have their dens, birds have their nests, but you, the followers of Christ, members of the kingdom of God, you will not find a place in this world by which you are completely comforted. Those things do not happen in this world because we are not of this world. Second observation here is that the follower of Christ will prioritize the kingdom of God. Look at verse 59. Verse 59, it says to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You probably noticed that there is something in common with the second person and the third person. When they're exhorted with this call to follow Jesus, they begin their response with the words, but first. They both say, but first. It's the same in the Greek. It's the same in the English. Okay? They respond with, but first. And I tell you the truth, that tells us a lot, not only about what they're thinking, but about why Jesus rebukes them as they respond to Him. Okay, the disposition of these men is, listen, Jesus, it's great. I want to follow you, but I first have something else. It's on the top of my list before I get to the whole following you part. And this response of this second man is very interesting, okay? He says to Jesus, let me go bury my father. And the commentators here point out, uh, it doesn't seem as if this man's father has died. There's a number of reasons why, but probably the most important one is, in this culture, when somebody passes away, the first, very first thing you have to do is you've got to begin the burial process, okay? So this man, being on the road with Jesus says likely his father hasn't yet died. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been on the road with Jesus. He would have been at home burying his father because the clock is ticking. You've got to get him in the ground. This is super urgent, okay? Most commentators believe, though, something else is going on with this man's response to Jesus. And this is something of what most commentators believe. They believe as you read this passage that Jesus says to this man, follow me, and the man is saying something like, okay, but... I have a father, 
and it's likely I'll have to bury him at some point, let me first bury my father. I.e., I will follow you once my father has passed away and he's been buried and that has been taken care of. Then I can come follow you, Jesus. And you can think of this. His father might be really old and in really bad shape, but in a sort of comical way, maybe he's got a really young father. And it's like, in the next 20 to 40 years, I'm going to have to do this, Jesus. So I will follow you once this responsibility has been resolved. And we know, especially in this culture, sons have this responsibility of burying their fathers, okay? And so there you have it. This man is saying to Jesus, listen, I, I will follow you but first, okay? But first there's something else that's more pressing, it's more urgent, it's more important. I've got something else on the top of my list, and I will get to the following you, Jesus, eventually. And I think there's a, there's a message there for some who may find themselves in a similar situation. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe listening online, okay? But maybe you've gotten to the point where you've sensed the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ in your own life. You feel drawn to Him. You've sensed maybe a calling in your own heart, but you've arrived at the conclusion that you will get to that eventually. But first, and you've got whatever is the but first in your life. But first, I want to take care of my career, okay? But first, I want to have the family, okay? Or but first, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Many times it's but first, I want to live my life, okay? But first, I want to live like the world, and I'll do that for a certain number of years, and then I'll get to the follow me thing of Jesus. I think that's probably often true for young people, okay? So if you're a young person... The, the message to young people in this world is, if you're going to follow Jesus, you can do that later, okay? Right now, live your life. Live your life. Jesus will be waiting when you get there. Live your life, okay? Uh, but Jesus here communicates to this man the urgency of the call of the kingdom of God. The priority of the call of the kingdom of God. Jesus, as he rebukes this man, he says, listen, let the dead bury their own dead. You might be wondering, what does that mean? Dead people can't bury dead people, right? Yes and no. Uh, the message of Jesus, I, I love it. It's deep, and, uh, and, and it really cuts to the core, I'm sure, of this man. It cuts to our hearts as well. He's saying to the man, listen, let the spiritually dead, let those who are of this world, let those, as the Apostle Paul would describe in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, sons of disobedience, let the citizens of the kingdom of man deal with the dead. You, sir, are alive if you are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, go proclaim the kingdom of God. See, his message to this man is very simple. Those are the things of the world. You are to be concerned with the things of the kingdom of God. Fix your attention, prioritize the things of of the kingdom of God. That's the call to this man as Jesus exhorts him to follow him. And so we also are called to following Christ Jesus, prioritizing the kingdom of God above the kingdom of man. Third thing about this passage is that the follower of Christ will reject the eminence of this world. That is the importance or the priority of the things of this world. Look again at the last person. In verse 61, yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow 
and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, this third man, again, he has his own but first, okay? Yeah, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. Now, again, as you read this passage, that may seem a little harsh, right? But as we read this text, it, it seems as if this man is saying, listen, I, I want to give my family the common courtesy of just letting them know what I'm doing, okay? My household. That's literally what it says. Let me tell my household goodbye. Let me go say to them, listen, this is what I'm doing. Don't worry about me. I'm about to go with Jesus. Um, I'll see you again, such and such a date. But Jesus is saying, listen, the urgency of the kingdom of God is such that you must keep your eyes on the kingdom and not have your attention divided between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And just as the last point, the priority of the kingdom is true, so also is the opposite. Because what we prioritize then necessitates that other things will be neglected or diminished. And to this man, Jesus is saying, may the things of this world be diminished in your vision. May they be diminished in your prioritizing, in your sight, in your life. May the things of this world pass away as you are fixed on the things of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus here uses this farming analogy. He says in verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I was thinking about this this morning. This analogy makes a lot of sense to me because one of the jobs I had when I was a kid was we were hoeing the rows of the garden for my parents, okay? My dad would set up a string line from one side to the other and he'd say, make sure you stay in line with that string, okay? I want my rows to be straight, not crooked. And as a young boy, I'm sure you can imagine young boys get easily distracted, okay? So you would be hoeing the row, but then something would distract you. And you would get off pretty quickly. And my dad would come out and he would say, no, 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 that's crooked. Go back and make it straight, okay? That's the message that Jesus is sharing with these men. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The idea is you're plowing the, the row, and when you're plowing the row, you are fixed on the row before you. And when you look back, you're going to begin to mess up, okay? You're going to begin to become distracted. The kingdom of God before us, the kingdom of man behind us. Jesus exhorts this man, do not have a, 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 a distracted attention. Do not have your eyes on both kingdoms. You must be concerned with the kingdom of God, and you must then have the kingdom of man diminished in your attention. Now this connects us then, I believe, to verse 23, the first passage we read this morning. Because Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. The word deny means to oppose, to be against. It's an adversarial word. And you think about how bizarre is that, okay? There's a lot of bizarre things that Jesus says even just in this passage. But how bizarre is the picture of Jesus speaking to a group of men saying, listen, you, you oppose yourself. You be against yourself. You fight against yourself. You reject. You deny yourself. Okay, but the image is clear. Jesus speaks of the old man, okay? The old man who once walked in your shoes. The old man who once had your name. The old man who once lived in your home, who had himself or herself in your life. The old man must be rejected, must be denied, 
must be turned away from, must be opposed. The old man is to be fought against. The new man is the, is the new creature in Christ Jesus who lives with eyes on the kingdom of God. Now, as I was thinking about this, I think there are so many ways in the Christian life that, that God uses the people around us and the time that we spend together here this morning and the aspects of our lives to dispossess us of the things of this world that we might more and more fix our attention on the things of the kingdom of God. Think about a few examples in your life. What about tithing and giving, okay? Tithing and giving is the regular exercise of the people of God dispossessing themselves of the things of this world and fixing their attention on the things of the kingdom of God. I mean, literally, it's a giving of money, which is like one of the greatest idols of our world, dispossessing ourselves of our things and fixing our attention on the eternal truths and treasures of the kingdom of God. You think about the time that we spend together in relationships, uh, marriage, children, friendships uh, with those who are in Christ. It's a constant dispossessing ourselves of the things of this world, our own desires, our own propensities, our own bents, our strengths and our weaknesses, and fixing our attention on the things of the kingdom of God. Your work in the nursery, your work in the backyard Bible club, your time spent with the teenagers of this church, your, your involvement with almost any aspect of ministry in the life of the church, your time here this morning, okay, your prioritizing of worship in your home above personal gain, above leisure and sport, whatever must be prior, uh, whatever we prioritize uh, worship in our homes over, the, that's the dispossessing ourselves of the things of the kingdom of man to fix our attention on the things of the kingdom of God. That's what Christ speaks of here when He speaks of, if anyone would follow Him, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. Now the last point connects with that point because the last point as we look at this text is that the follower of Christ will understand that life in Jesus is death to the world. Life in Jesus is death to the world. Again, look at verse 23. It says, He said to all of them, If any would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, will save it. Again, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre passage. Okay? But Jesus, like the maestro who's directing this great musical work, is building towards this crescendo of the end. Okay? And the, the passage as Christ speaks is building and building in intensity until he says this phrase, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And lest anyone be confused about what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus, he adds, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And the image of the cross here, I have to imagine the disciples were like, what in the world are you talking about? The cross of Christ, right, is still chapters and chapters away in the Gospel of Luke. It is months and months in the future as far as the chronology of these events is speaking. 
okay? The cross to the disciples was only an image of the penalty of death for lawbreakers. That's it. And Jesus says to them, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And it's one of those moments, you know, where the disciples right now are scratching their heads and like a year from now, hopefully they were like, oh, that's what Jesus was talking about. Do you remember that moment? He said, take up your cross and follow me. Now I understand. Because not only was he painting for them the picture of what he was about to do on their behalf, but he was exhorting them as members of his kingdom to be image bearers. To be image bearers of the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself, to carry forward in their lives the image of Christ Jesus. That by his death on the cross, the sins of many were paid for. And he was exhorting them in their own lives to take up their cross and follow him. Friends, this is not simply a call for the holiest among us. It's not a call for missionaries uh, who will go overseas and give their lives, okay? Yes, it's for them, but it's for us as well. It's not a call for monks. It's not a call simply to the greatest or the most faithful among us. It is a call to all followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a call not to forfeiting your heartbeat or your physical body. It's a call to a lifestyle of death to this world. The things that you once craved, dead to you. The lust of your heart, dead to you. Hobbies, passions, investments, glories of this world, dead to you. You've been called to a crucifying of the old man who once inhabited that body, that man which you ceased to be once Christ called you. Christ would become the propitiation for sin only through His death, and so glory comes through the cross. But now as His image bearers, as members of His kingdom, He calls us to come to glory through His cross. Dead to self and alive in Christ Jesus. It's the calling of the follower of Christ here. That's what he beckons us to, okay? Many of you have heard the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who summarized it so succinctly when he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This morning as we wrap up this passage, I want to let you know that this is not simply a call to suffering, to denial, or to self-deprivation as an end in and of itself. It's not the message that the Gnostics preached or the Pietists preached, that we deny ourselves because denying yourself is all that there is and is all that there ever will be. Christ does not desire us to live that kind of life, a prudish, somber, cold, lifeless style of living, that is not the call of Christ. We deny the self because that self which we deny is of the world. And we deny the things of the world. And we deny the kingdom of man. And we deny the desires of this world, this physical fallen world. But those who follow Christ deny the world because they're learning to walk according to another kingdom. They're learning to have their joys according to another kingdom. They're longing to have their pleasures according to another kingdom. 
They're longing, longing to frame their trials and challenges according to another kingdom. They're learning to relate to each other according to another kingdom. They're learning to grow according to another kingdom. And so Christ says in verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. See, by implication, we may understand that those who follow Christ, who are not ashamed of Him, who walk in His ways, who are according to His kingdom, who trust Him by faith, they will receive every blessing and reward beyond the limits of imagination when Christ comes again. When He comes in His glory, and the glory of the Father, and the glory of the angels. Matthew, in his gospel, he records it with even more fuller detail. He says, Uh, that for the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. And then He will repay each according to what He has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. For the kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom. Denying self and the kingdom of man is the currency of Christ's followers for whom Christ is storing up treasures in heaven. In that day, by the work of our King, we will rule with Him in glory, His Father's glory, the Son's glory, the glory of the angels. And so for the joy that is set before us, let us take up our cross daily, die to this world, and follow where Jesus leads. It's strange in this kingdom, in the kingdom of man. It's peculiar. We don't fit in. But in our Father's kingdom, there is no other way. There is no other way but the calling of Christ to follow Him where He goes. He beckons us, come and die, that we might live through the cross of Christ, that we might be raised again in new life in the kingdom of our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before You this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Son, Jesus Christ, has gone before us. We thank You that He calls us to follow Him. And so we ask, Lord God, that as we hear this call, follow Him, deny ourselves, take up our cross, that we would recognize, Lord God, there are two kingdoms at work. There is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And as You have called us to the denying of the kingdom of man, to the rejection of the things of this world, to a diminishing of them in our attention, we ask, Lord God, that you would help us fix our gaze on the kingdom of God, on the kingdom of heaven, to which we have been called. We ask, Lord God, that you would make us able, that you would strengthen us in our weakness, that you would show us by the work of Christ that we have been redeemed and transferred from darkness into light. And then would you more and more make this true in our lives every day that we would glorify you in everything we say and do. We thank you for your son, Christ Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross, for his resurrection and victory over death. Now we ask that you would make us to live in that glory through Christ Jesus. We ask this. Amen.